every little piece that we use has a story. There's a history to it. And this is one of the reasons why, to me, being environmentally responsible is complex. It is. If you start to understand all the things that go into the choices you make, it gets complex. But it's also beautiful because now you have a connection. You have an understanding with what is actually happening. Thomas has left a successful computer business to live in an urban farm with his love, Laura. Today, Thomas has a different way to relate to life. He manifests love in everything he does, from fixing an old beam, straightening nails, to rescuing bees. This episode is packed with wisdom and gives a beautiful and radical answer to the question that discourages us often. Is it enough to do your own part, while the rest of the world doesn't care or doesn't do their own part? Thomas was just telling me about his house on Vancouver Island. Yes, continue, please. It is a house that was moved from an island here in the Gulf Islands. And before that, it was moved from Nanaimo to that island. And the framing in it is a rough sawn actual two by four cedar is the wood framing and the joists and all that sort of stuff. And the floor, I rebuilt the floor the other day. And when I rebuilt the floor, a lot of the joists were rotten, the ends were rotten, and I had to replace them with new ones. And, but I have this, these joists now. And yesterday, I built a flower bed out of the cedar joists. And they're pockmarked, or they got holes in them from the powder bug, powder beetle, that infests them. And these beams are over 100 years old, four by sixes or four by eights. And they're over 100 years old. And when you cut them, You see the very tight lines of ring growth, and they were old growth forests. Mm. There's no question they were old growth forests. So then a couple of days ago, I power washed an old shed that we have in the backyard, which was also here when we bought the house 20 years ago. And um, we want to rejuvenate everything because a big part of the carbon footprint of any building is not the energy you use while you live in it, but the energy it took to build it. So the embodied energy in the materials is half your carbon footprint. So when we renovate and throw things, rip things out and throw things away, or when we build not to last, we actually increase our carbon footprint dramatically. So we try to save things as much as possible and repurpose things yeah. and recycle them through our own urban farm here. And so this shed, we want to save it. And so one of the things we did, the it all, shingles looked all old and everything else. So we power washed the shingles. And as I'm power washing them, and I've got some pictures, there's a shingle that's probably about 14 inches wide. And I looked at it again, and all the grain was really tight all the way across the shingle. And that's old growth forest. And it probably took, I'm guessing, because I haven't actually counted them yet, but probably 300 years to grow that shingle. And people think nothing of putting cedar shingles. In fact, it looks great. It's wonderful. It's natural. It's beautiful. Right? Put cedar shingles on their house. But when I looked at the whole shed, there's not a single knot. And the only way you can get knot-free wood... Is from old growth. Yeah. It's from old growth. Because the canopy is so tall. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing about it. The canopy is so tall that the trees have to grow in darkness without branches as quickly as possible straight up. And they don't even get their nourishment from the photosynthesis themselves. Their parents feed them through the roots, right? So the trees feed each other as they're growing through the darkness of the old growth forest to reach the canopy. 
And that's where the not free wood starts. And then those trees get bigger and older over hundreds of years. And then you have what they call vertical grain, Douglas fir or cedar, which is extremely expensive, but because it's old growth, yeah. right? And so I looked at that and it was so wonderful to rejuvenate this and make sure that it doesn't get wasted. And yeah. we have another old shed that's going to come down with painted shingles. And I'm now thinking about, okay, how can I remove those shingles without damaging them and flip them around so I can see the grain again and reuse them rather than just the way normal deconstruction happens. It's not deconstruction, but a machine comes in with the house and they just go crunch and the whole house is destroyed and put in bins and carted away, which is another thing we did when we deconstructed half this house. We took the, half the house off, the old house. We actually didn't have a bin when we deconstructed other than for the roof because we repurposed pretty much everything in it, pulled all the nails and all this sort of thing. And I just connecting with the reality of all these things, even just in our little urban farm is so, every time I pick up a shovel, I thank the coal miner, right? Because steel still requires coke to produce. We've only recently found a way to make steel from iron ore with electricity. That was, that's a technology that has only been developed over the last year or two, right? Up until now it has always taken coal turned into coke to make steel from iron. And we all take steel for granted. I can't run my garden without a shovel. Some coal miner went underground or some strip mine happened to feed a coal train that fed a blast furnace that contaminated the site like they did in Cape Breton with the coking process and then created steel so that I could have a shovel. So every little piece that we use has a story. There's a history. To and this is one of the reasons why, to me, being environmentally responsible is complex. Yeah. It is. If you start to understand all the things that go into the choices you make, it gets complex. But it's also beautiful because now you have a connection. You have an understanding with what is actually happening. Appreciation. And what, yeah. And appreciation. Right. And so now I don't throw shovels away. This one's a little rotten handle and throw it away. No, we forge a new handle and we fix the old rake and we make sure that the steel doesn't go to waste. We pick up the old nails, we pull the nails, we straighten them and use them again because some coal had to be burned to make that nail. I'm not right. just going to throw it out. And so when you, you can have straighten an, them enough so you can use them again over and over. Absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> a nail will last a thousand years. Nails don't go bad unless they rust. And if they're in the wood somewhere, they often don't. And so absolutely, right? I have, I use a nail gun when we, for certain things, I have a nail gun. And when we built this house, we used a nail gun. But you go into a regular construction site and you walk around the floor and then you can't hardly walk because it's so slippery because there's so many nails lying around on the floor because they just, we didn't waste any nails. Not a single nail was wasted in our construction site. And now... When we take things apart, we salvage the nails and we put them in containers and we sort them by length and we, we reuse them. Amazing. And that's just work. Being, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's wonderful work. work because now you're, you know, there's something that I've lived by my whole life, a philosophy that is that self-respect is, is what you earn when you do the right thing, even when no one's watching. Yeah. So when I straighten mm -hmm. the nail, it's something that I'm doing. Nobody cares. It's not a big thing. Yeah. But for me, it matters because I've actually been to a steel mine, a mill, 
I've actually seen the blast furnaces. I've actually been underground in a coal mine. I know what's involved. I've studied metallurgy. I've been through those processes. And that's a lot of process. Yeah. Just to give me a nail. Okay, so I have to ask you this, because like, it's c- contradicting. You take so much time on the nail. Yeah. This nobody see, nobody knows, oh. and nobody cares. But to, to me, approach people with the pledge, this is too much. Why? How do you compare that? How do you decide what yes, too much? Or maybe you got hurt from someone. Or, not no. hurt from someone, hurt from a of lifetime pushing. of pushing against things. So when I was, again, I told you the story about when I was involved with Vision, right? Vision? Which was Vision Community Initiatives for Regional Development. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was the executive director. I had a research staff of three people. The organization, I was one of the founding members of the organization. The organization was a volunteer organization formed to combat the 25% chronic unemployment in industrial Cape Breton. We had a steel mill and a coal mine that employed about six, 7,000 people, and they were both losing money and both owned by the government and both threatened to shut down. Mm-hmm. So we already had 25% unemployment. What will happen when they go? We had to come up with a new way of building an economy from scratch, essentially. So we brought together seven municipalities, the mayors and wardens of seven municipalities. Mm-hmm. We brought together the university, the Board of Trade, the Steelworkers of America, the United Mine Workers, the University of Clergy, we brought together everyone, every, all the stakeholders. And we had these symposiums at the Canadian Coast Guard College in Westmount. Beautiful, fantastic spread, all kinds of people, three-day sessions, lots of speakers, all the things, great things we were going to do. Vision was funded by the government. We had a budget. I had three researchers under me that were, worked, for, worked for me. We developed all kinds of new economic approaches to the local economy brought them to these huge symposiums to discuss and debate. And we did roundtable and breakout groups, the whole schmear, yeah. right? Okay. And, and in the end, the, there was one of the breakout groups that I, I realized at the end, I said, so we're trying to solve unemployment. I stood up and I'd like to just take a quick survey. How many of the people in the room, and there was like 120 attendees, how many of the people in the room are unemployed? Not a single hand. So then I realized that, wait a minute, all the people in the room have a vested interest in 25% unemployment. And so I was pushing a rock uphill. I was trying to convince them and help them convince themselves that they were doing something when in fact they weren't doing anything. And bottom line, I didn't fully understand the connection to the nails. The nails is me just doing the right thing. So in that context, what I did at the end of the day, right after that, I decided that, okay, so obviously this 120 community leaders aren't really interested in making a change or creating employment. So I'll start a business and hire one person and create employment. So if the majority of people that I'm connecting with, and I've been exposed to hundreds, if not thousands of people over the last few years in my efforts to try to build a green movement, aren't interested, I can do my little bit by salvaging the nail. Right. Okay. Right. I have real confidence and comfort that when I straighten that nail and reuse it, I have just done something worthwhile right there. It actually is a contribution that is solid. Yes. When I speak to somebody who I don't know why they're not getting the obvious, I've not done anything. I've just created more hot air. Right. And when you do that so many times as I have, and you get nowhere with it, right, then it's much better to just straighten the nail because 
there you have it. I can straighten one nail, two nails, five nails, 100 nails. All the rocks I sorted, that meant the transport truck didn't have to go to some quarry. A it's 100% success. Like you do that, 100%, success. 100% uh, sustainability, 100% success. There's right. no doubt that you invested the time in the right thing. Exactly. It's small, but it's But it adds up. But it's, right? it adds up and it's also big because it's 100%. And it's my love manifest in the world. So those nails now have a little bit more of my love in them than a nail that just shoots out of a gun. Thank you for explaining that. I need right? to sit with that for a second. It's like, oh, it's really beautiful. So there is so many bits of wisdom here. Let's try to capture some of them. When we push hard against reality and we get the pushback and we get a lot of resistance, one way to go about it is to push harder and keep fighting. Another way to go about it is to let go of this way completely. When we let go completely of one way, another one opens up. We can look for a way that has less resistance and less effort to create the change that we want. We can fight against the systems and we can create new systems. Both are legit ways and both are important. The one we choose is the one that fits our personality and the one that supports us in our way for a better life. Another thing that I'm taking from Thomas' stories is that when we have a big project like fixing unemployment or reversing the climate change or changing the system, it's a bit overwhelming. And it can create some anxiety and can cause us to freeze and eventually do nothing. What we can do, we can break big project into small digestible pieces that we can see from start to end, something that we can learn from, something that we can enjoy along the way, something that will be worth our time and effort, something that we can see a progress and a success. We need to see small successes. And in this way, you will also transform the anxiety and the overwhelmness into meaningful action, into purposeful way of living. So the connection, and just to re intensify the connection a little bit with some previous things I've said, yeah. which is, remember that story I told about me walking through my house and seeing the wonderful, sunny... I remember, but maybe you say it because it was not recorded. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. The story starts that I come home, I'm working 80 hours a week, and I'm working long hours in my computer business, and I come home to this beautiful house with a wonderful sunroom and, and sun streaming in on a winter's day into the sunroom bouncing off the hardwood floors and illuminating everything. And I'm home for just a sandwich for lunch. And I look around and I think to myself, I would like to live. And then in that moment, I realized that I leave the place, leave my house before it gets light in the morning. I come home after it gets dark at night. I don't really see it or experience it. And that's when a profound change happened in me when I realized that I was paying other people to live my life. I was making more money at my work than I was paying people to do things. And so I was, it made economic sense to pay them to live my life, essentially. And one of the commitments I made to myself when I left that environment and came out West is that I was now going to start living my life. I was going to do everything myself. So I do all my own engine maintenance, boat maintenance, uh, house maintenance, etc. And that's how we built our own house. When we built this house that I'm sitting in right now, everybody says, oh, yeah, I built the house, too. But did you learn all the trades? Did you run the 200 amp service underground? 
Did you climb the roof and put the screws into the metal roof? Did you do all the drywall? People say, you didn't do your own drywall, did you? Yes, we did everything ourselves. We learned all the trades. We did the plumbing and the electrical and everything. And as a result, this house is our love manifest in the world. I want to pause on it made economic sense. It's so valuable to look at this. When we live our lives by economic sense, we miss out everything else that is important in life. If we decide what to buy only by the cost of it, this way leads us to disconnection. Disconnection from life, disconnection from ourself, disconnection from nature and each other. But if we're connected to the things that are around us and we know their stories and we are feeling the connection, in this moment of connection, there is zero room for anxiety. And I'm not saying budgeting is not important. We really need to be wise with our money and manage the little budget we have. So as a rule of thumb, we can ask how much it costs and is this purchase going to support or hurt anyone else? So at least we include more component to this economic sense idea. We're thinking more bigger picture here. And while doing this, we are feeling more connected to life. Because the second most important thing, and that's what I wanted to share with you as well, is that besides the realization that I was paying other people to live my life, around the same time, I learned that love is a verb. Hmm. And that has got to be the most profound paradigm shift in my world ever. Because once I learned that love is a verb, it's something you do. It's not something you get. It's something, not something you can hold on to. It's like a beam of light. If you stop it, it disappears. It's only active when you do it. Interesting. And once yeah. I learned that love is a verb, it's something you do, then I started doing love, not waiting for it, not trying to find it in bars, not trying to find the perfect circumstance or create it somehow. You can't create love. You can only do love, right? And mm -hmm. once I started doing love, everything I did, scrubbing a floor or whatever, caused some of my love to be manifest in my world. And eventually... Somebody else saw that. And then I, I had a little cafe and in the cafe, I was waiting tables one day and this woman walks in, looks me square in the eye and says, there you are. And I had exactly the same feeling. We both said it at the same time, if I recall correctly, because it was instant recognition. And it turned out she had learned the same lesson huh. and she was manifesting her love in her world. And I could see it in her and she could see it in me. And when we saw each other's world, I remember the first time she came to the cottage where I, I, I took care of my mom, she walked up the stairs and looked around and burst into tears. And I thought, what's going on? And she said, you're real. You are exactly what you present as. There's love everywhere here. It's all, there's love manifest in everything around us. And that's how it feels. So this house now feels like it's a sanctuary filled with love because every Laura cut every single, my love cut every single stick that built this house with her chop saw. 
I drove every single nail. We made all the things, did all the things together. So our love is manifest together. It's manifest in every aspect of this building. So when we walk through the door, it engulfs us, right? And that to me is, was a massive game changer. And my life has been so much richer ever since I've made that shift in thinking. Wow. What caused this like insight to what happened? Gosh, that's a very good question. Oh yeah. I think I can shed a little bit of light to that. And we've all been, maybe not all of us, but many of us have been in relationships where you really try, you really try to make it work. And I remember being in a relationship where I had a, on my bedside, a stack of books, men are from Mars, all these stuff, all these wonderful <laughs> self-help books. It was like a stack of them. And, and I read them and I tried my best and I tried to be empathetic and I tried this and I tried that. And, and the person I was with, none of it worked. It just didn't work. And I had this friend who was an absolute blatant, crazy person. He liked to just taunt women by making sexist comments just to get their goat. And he was just the kind of person my mother said to him, it takes a person like you to have a friend like Ivor. He, he insisted on mowing his lawn with a gas powered lawnmower in bare feet, just cause he could. When the mad cow disease thing happened, he went in England and the first thing he went to a pub and ordered a rare steak. And he was just like, he was just like that person. And he came to our farm and we had a farm in Nova Scotia, this person and I, and he came to our farm and uh, worked with us in the forest for a day. And at the end of the day, she said to me, I really like him. He's real. I don't even know who you are anymore. And I thought to myself, you know what? Neither do I. I was trying so hard to be something for somebody else that I had forgotten who I was myself. Wow. And that's when I started to realize, so what really matters to me? So your partner said that on this guy that came to visit you, he's real. He's real and I'm not, right? Wow, and that's, after wow, I that's have, it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, after I read all these books trying to be the right person for her, I thought, okay, well, that's not going to happen anymore. I am. But then I had to figure out who I am, who I am and what is, matters to me. And, and I spent my whole life looking for the right circumstance, for the right love and the right person. And, I was getting on in years and I said, okay, if I'm done with that, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to look at who I am and what matters to me. And that's when I realized that what matters to me is love. And then I picked up somewhere a book that said love is a verb. And I started oh. thinking about that and okay, I, that makes sense. I'll start applying that and off I went. And, but that was a massive game changer. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I guess a third thing that I guess speaks to all this is that I am, contrary to maybe the impression you got in our earlier conversation, I am very interested in learning, continuously learning. I just don't, I just, I want to learn and I want to be surrounded by people to learn and I want to find people I can learn from and grow with. If I'm going to have contact, human contact at all. The thing is that when I have contact with the bees, for example, the bumblebees, I can learn from them. And they are so gentle and so kind and so wonderful. We have a hummingbird in the area, a hummingbird family that we had, uh, their nest was out front here for a couple of years. And we call her mummer. Now, every once in a while, she comes and she flies at, to us, right in front of us. And she turns her back to show us her green markings. And then she turns around again and she buzzes real quick and she's gone. 
And there's nothing around us that would attract her in terms of color or smell, you know, sugar or, or yeah. smell or anything like that. It's just she's just come to say hi, and we feel that we definitely feel because we love them so much that they recognize us. They got a life to live, and we know that, but they do come and say hi. And the bumblebees are a little bit like that too. We've rescued bumblebees in different times when they get caught and stuff. We've had birds nest. We had a nest. We, I had a, a, a tray full of nasturtiums and we cut them in our salad. So mm-hmm. we have a, a flower box of nasturtiums that overwintered in our greenhouse. And I put it out and before a bird put a nest in it and four little eggs. Now, I guess we didn't know about it. So we probably scared her. There was too much activity around and she abandoned the nest. But but still, it's all part of the family. And we have the same experience when we're at anchor in our favorite cove. There's a seal there who we call Matilda because yeah. she of the way that she dances. And when she had her pup, we called the pup Maddie. And last summer, we had no end of joy sitting at anchor and just watching from the back of our boat how Maddie and Matilda would come up and they'd kiss and they'd snuggle with each other, swimming along, and they'd nuzzle each other. And there was just so much love between the two. And it was palpable. You could see it. You could feel it, right? And if you pay attention and you stay with the moment, these things become apparent. And now you, and whether it's in the garden and the worms, little ants right now, we got little ants in our kitchen, like the little tiny, some people call them sugar ants or thief ants or whatever. They're amazing. They're just, they can like travel at lightning speed from compared to, uh, they travel, I think, at 40 kilometers an hour is, is, is roughly their speed. And, and they, they clean up. They take care of things and they are very respectful. They certain places they don't go. And, and we try to be careful not to squash them or wash them down the drain or anything like that. So there's this sense of symbiosis that happens. Right? You let them be in your house? Those ants? The little tiny ones, yeah. Yeah, because they... they but they're they, on the kitchen, like they're eating the food or something, right? Yeah, they clean up after it comes. If we leave it dirty, they come and find the dirt and they lick it up and whatever, right? But they're also out on the peony right now because they need peony need them to open them up. The, the ants eat the sap. The same little sugar ants are out there. And they're all over the garden. But they're so tiny, they can get into any crack, Right. And yeah, they come in the house. If we, if we leave a mess, they come clean it up. And if we don't leave a mess, then they don't show up. But they're seasonal. These guys aren't causing any damage. They don't invade the wood. They don't do any harm. They don't bite. They're just worker ants that clean up. Same thing goes for the spiders. And if you've ever watched a spider make a web, like one of the orb spiders, it is just absolutely amazing. There's three kinds of strand in a fiber, in a spider web. There's the strong ones, and then there's the sticky ones. And then there's the ones that they can shoot long and as, as the first one to actually make the connection. And they're just, they've got such an amazing capacity and they actually walk around the web and they grab the thread as it comes out of their abdomen and they stick it on with their left hand, left one of their feet and they stick on the next one and they stick on the next one. And you watch them make their web. It is just thrilling. You can see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got video of it. It's really, and, and again, it's like one of those special things in nature. That's why biomimicry is such a powerful place for us to go as humans, because there's so much to learn. We can't produce any material as strong as a spider silk. Haven't been able to do it yet. Pound for pound, strength for strength, we can't do it. And the spider does it all the time. Not only does it do, they do it all the time, but if you disturb a spider's web, as long as you don't totally get rid of it, you leave it hanging, the spider will eat it because it is the protein out of which it can make a new spider's web. 
So if you leave the web, just you, if you need to disturb a spider's web, make sure you leave enough of it hanging so the spider can eat it and get enough protein so they can build a new one. And they're happy to build a new one. Right? <laughs> and so that's all life. That's all love in action. That's all, I don't know. So, so I, teach me. So love is a verb. When you watch that, this is something you do, the watching is the act of love no the watching is just it's just learning but the act of love is when a spider is caught in my sink i take it outside when a fly is in the house i don't swat it i carefully catch it and take it outside it's the respect for their life and their need to love and their need to engage that makes me do that when i talk about love manifest it's more okay so the things that i do with love Right? I have to do things. There's things you have to do. You have to make food, for example, chop carrots and all that sort of stuff. Can I do it with, I got to get this done. It's important. I got to get it done. It's, it's got to get it over with so we can get to the next thing. Or do I focus on it? And I say, I'm, I love this carrot. This yeah. is a wonderful thing. I love being able to chop it. I love the knife. I love the steel in the knife. I'm grateful for the fact that somebody worked in a coal mine to make me a steel so that I can have a a knife that I can use to chop this carrot to make this wonderful salad. And being conscious of these things and consciously investing myself in them is, I think, how love is a verb. And for me, my life is so rich because I have taken the time to learn so many things about so many aspects of life and where things come from that even sorting the rocks, and we talked about that earlier, how I sort the rocks for my, out of our dirt and fill for my perimeter drain. Each rock represents millions of years of history. And knowing the different kinds of rock compositions and learning about them and feeling them in your hand. Laura loves to, she, she looks at rocks and she's always sticking them in her mouth. <laughs> so she licks them and they can be dirty and she doesn't care. She licks them and then it just makes them shine and you can see all the grains and the different layers and yeah. you realize the history that's embedded in this rock is just magnificent. And think of where this rock has traveled through the beaches and underground for many years. And maybe this is the first time it's seen the light for her. So it's just connecting with the world in a real tangible way is what, when you start realizing that... That's really amazing. And my question is, what allows you to be so present in those moments when the magic is happening and it's happening all the time? And I find that for me, when I'm in a mindset of doing, doing, acting, getting things done, it's kind of a fast-paced and thinking fast. And to be present in the moment, to enjoy walking in the forest, to enjoy even being with my kids, to see them laughing. It's, um, and I'm also speaking like this, slow down, you know, I don't have to do anything, I just have to be. And maybe it's kind of the switching from doing to being, but it's completely different mindset. And I need to let go of the doing and agree to be in the being. So it's really challenging. And I wonder how you do that, switching mindsets. And that is, I guess, this is why I think learning that you manifest your love is a key element of that. Because if you just do things to get things done, to get to the next to do things, then you're like that famous video of Lucy Ball on the assembly line. Lucy Ball, remember that video? It's long ago, but the, when assembly lines first came out, they made a joke video of her not being able to keep up with the assembly line. And it's just an assembly line. 
life, life is just an assembly line. Yeah. You do one thing to get the next thing done to get the next thing done. When you stop and realize that, okay, I have love to give and I want to manifest it in my world. And there's other creatures out there that I have just as much a reason and need to love as I do and to manifest love. Watching the ants, speaking to the ants, they touch noses, right? As they walk by each other. They always touch noses as they walk by each other. Now they smell on the ground their path. They don't have to touch noses, but they do. They touch noses to connect with each other and then they move on. And then they next meet the next end and they touch noses and they keep moving. And so they have a community and they tell each other where the stuff is. And one end, the scouts go out and they find stuff and then they tell everybody else. And then pretty soon there's a whole chain of, of ants marching straight to this place. If you take the time to recognize that love is something you do, then you start to pay attention. And if you're open and interested in learning, then you can see the documentaries now or today with technology. It's so amazing. We watched a documentary on a bumblebee the other day and the camera, the drone was following the bumblebee. So you could actually see the bumblebee flying through the field at the speed that it was flying. You could fly with it, right, in formation. Wow. And it's breathtaking <laughs> what the bumblebee sees and how it flies. And then you learn that bumblebees, their whole hive dies at the end of the year. And there's one bumblebee that survives. The queen? Right? And it buries itself in the ground somewhere. And in the next spring, when it comes out, the first thing it does, the first bumblebees, you know, the queen's looking for a place to build a hive and lay their eggs. And then the entire hive comes from that one queen. Right? And... The courage, the, it's just magical, right? Everything about it is just magical. So yes, you're right. You have to take the time to focus on these things. But to me, that's why I'm so passionate about trying to save this generation, this mosaic of species that we now exist, right? This is why climate change is such a huge threat uh, to all of this because we're in the process of a new extinction, of the latest extinction, we're, for, we're causing it. And a lot of our species have already gone extinct and more are going to go extinct with us as yeah. we build our own extinction, which we're doing. Yeah. And, and it's a sad thing. These are all wonderful. It's no big deal for you, but for us and all the ones that, all the creatures that currently inhabit this wonderful place, it's a sad thing. So I have a question for you here, and it's something that I heard from many people, and I talked about it with Soda in our interview. And it's how to balance the need for money to survive this world, to survive in this life, and with this need to manifest love and be present and enjoy the ants and touching noses. And maybe the question is how to balance between doing and being. This is why I'm so perplexed because, again, my life learning has taught me that what we need is we need a new frame of reference, right? And our frame of reference right now is more stuff, more money, economic growth. Everything is we talk about we don't want economic growth, but then we want economic growth for us. We as individuals want economic growth. We want to make more money and have more stuff, right? That's economic growth. And yet we talk about circular economies. Well, wait a minute. If we really want to do that, then we have to start at home. And to me, that changes when you start to recognize that life is precious. When you start to recognize that lifelong learning is a vocation. It's something that's worthwhile doing. 
when you start to recognize that we're all in this together, that it's not a matter of me winning and you losing, right? And, and I, I have to laugh at all the economies of the world. They all say, each location, doesn't matter where you are, anywhere in the world, export is how we build our economy. If everybody exports, who the hell are they exporting to? So there is this lack of recognition that we live in a finite world, that we're all together, that we're one tribe. And when we start recognizing that, then we start realizing that, okay, now how do we address the challenge that you've just addressed, which is, or, or just asked, which is how do we find the balance, right? How do we, when is enough enough? And what do we actually need? And there's two ways to be rich. One is to earn more money. The other one is to spend less. We have been accused in our lifestyle by people who have said that the entire economy would collapse if everybody lived the way you did. Yeah. And it's probably true because we're not consumers. We don't consume the way most people do. And that is part of the recognition and the understanding. But you have to create a uh, first of all, you have to pay the. Wait, 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 wait. So, it's, oh, okay, okay, I, I got you. So, people accuse you in the new lifestyle of not consuming. Yeah. The, the economy will collapse. Absolutely. I, I think it will change, not collapse. But I can see why the. And yeah. I agree with you, and I think that we're. Uh, this is the. This is why Tony Saba's work to me is so inspiring, because we're at a cusp of developing a technological convergence, where work will become obsolete. Exactly. Where we will be generating so much wealth through energy alone and automation that we can actually start living it and that we can find new ways of redistributing that income through society in a way that allows us to raise our own children and allows us to be present in the moment when our kids are wanting to play and allows us to connect with our garden and the spiders and the thing. Because now we have the basic needs of our of the Maslow's needs met by an automated economy that is only big enough to meet those needs and still give us the opportunity to learn and grow as individuals. And at the end of the day, we can redefine what it means to be successful. Exactly. And that's all part of a, a mind shift that needs to happen. Yeah. And this is why I developed the pledge is because to me, the first step is to recognize some of the principles and values in the pledge and then recognize why it's so difficult for us to live by those principles and values. Yeah. And that's why those parts are in the pledge too, because we need to know, we need to be compassionate with ourselves and each other. To me, the pledge makes us more compassionate because, okay, these are the things that are going on in your head. I, I understand. And if you understand them too, then we can work together and not getting rid of them, but living with them. That's, I guess that's where I've come to in my understanding, but I, I need to live the life that I've just described. I need to be present in the moment. I need to spend as much time as possible loving, manifesting my love in my world. Because at the end of the day, that's going to be the measure of my success personally. How much love was I able to invest in this life? I hope you got inspired and have some takeaways. But sometimes we get discouraged by the gap between where we are to the place we want to be. In both cases, please be kind to yourselves. Honor your place and your feelings. I highly recommend taking a moment to reflect before keeping on with life. Thank you for listening to My Climate, 
My name is Yael Feiner, and I release a new episode every Friday, where we learn from regular people how to find hope and clarity amidst the chaos. Please sign up to the email list and be the first one to listen and get inspired. You can find all the information in the podcast description. I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts and your reflection. Reach out on Twitter. See you next time.